Hello and welcome to Natural Health with CNM, the College of Naturopathic Medicine. I'm your host, Michelle Sanchez. In today's episode, I'm joined by personal trainer and nutritional therapist, Keris Marsden. Keris is also a CNM graduate and lecturer. Keris is going to be talking to us about the role of exercise in optimal health and how to implement an exercise routine that works for you. She'll be busting some common exercise myths and explaining the training mistakes that people make when doing exercise. Keris will also be sharing her dietary recommendations for maintaining energy levels and performance during training. Keris is the co-founder of the health and fitness brand Fitter Food, a nutritional therapist, personal trainer and yoga teacher. She has co-authored two successful books, lectures in nutrition and coaches individuals to transform their health with optimal nutrition and positive lifestyle habits. She believes no qualification has taught her more about well-being than her dog, Hamish. He inspires her daily to get outside, enjoy every moment, take naps and do several downward dogs a day. Hi, Keris. Welcome. Thanks so much for joining me today. It's great to have you on the show. Hi, Michelle. Thanks for having me. Awesome to be here. Oh, it's awesome. I'm really looking forward to hearing all your tips and advice. You know, we haven't done an episode that purely focuses on fitness and exercise. So yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be good. And I'm sure lots of people will get inspired to get out there. Um, But before we jump into it, please, can you tell us a little bit about yourself how your health journey began and what led you to study nutrition and personal training? Um, well, it's kind of a, it's a, it's a long story. It's about 20 years ago, really, that I first kind of got interested in, um, I kind of entered in the, into, in terms of health, the exercise side of things came first for me. Um, I actually started running when I was at university and it started purely because typical student, I was at university eating the wrong foods and drinking a bit more alcohol than I was probably uh, <laughs> or should should have been doing and started to gain weight and a housemate and I decided to go for a run one day just to kind of um, you know, kickstart a fitness regime and it was really right. interesting because I remember lasting about five minutes on that uh, <laughs> on that run before I was like oh this is awful and just stopping and just going oh god I can't even believe why would people do this I hated every minute of it but <laughs> yes. something kind of I mean, I was with a friend as well and she kind of encouraged me to to go again. So we went for a second run and uh, gradually I just started to kind of decide that this is something I could do like three times a week. But uh, one thing that I'm going to talk about a little bit later is the first thing that I did was I decided to start running on my own so I could just do it in in short bursts at my pace. I realized that sometimes doing it with other people, you put too much pressure on yourself and you, know, you don't enjoy it as much. Mm-hmm. Um, but very gradually, um, what kind of sold exercise to me when I was at university, more than the kind of weight loss and, you know, the fitness stuff was actually, I just noticed a big difference in my mental health when I started running and it transferred over into things like a little bit more confidence. I started to enjoy university a lot more. I started to, you know, feel a bit more, um, energetic across my day. I could study better and, and kind of, you know, again, same thing that transferred over into my, um, grades and things like that at university so I started to realize exercise actually offered so much more and that's how it gradually became part of my routine and I think once you get into something like fitness then you naturally look at nutrition because you think okay well I'm doing this running what should I maybe be eating to support myself and help Mm -hmm. with my energy levels and anything to stop me from getting you know kind of injured those types of things so you naturally start to look at your nutrition and that's then just became a bit of a journey for me and, and you know what's really 
I suppose what's really changed is where I would look for the the right information about that stuff. I stopped looking in in health magazines and at celebrities and what celebrities were doing, and actually started to try and you know find some. I suppose you could say, you know, evidence-based information and, and kind of trusted sources. So going to personal trainers and people that had qualifications to, to kind of help yes. me. Excellent. Yeah, that's super important, isn't it? Because I think sometimes people get caught up with the whole celebrity and the faddy diets and what they're doing and how much weight they've lost. But, you know, as we know, that these kind of uh, diets and fads are just not sustainable and not healthy either. No, and it's so easy to get drawn into that side of things. And there was definitely a period, especially once you start to get into running and into nutrition, where you then naturally start to look at your body composition and starts to put a lot of, I think I put a lot of pressure on myself through my 20s. I think, you know, lots of individuals do. Teens and 20s are kind of really vulnerable times where, again, exercise Mm. can can purely be focused on on body composition and uh, again that you're kind of overlooking the other benefits that it really gives you and you you do tend to then start making some of the key mistakes that I'm going to talk about later with exercise if you're only doing it for you know trying to lose weight or trying to get six pack or you know biceps whatever it might be whatever that goal is if you're just looking at the physical you then tend to get extreme with it and it becomes sometimes a really negative thing in your life as well. So you're always pushing yourself when you shouldn't and not really reading your body and listening to it. So it's not as healthy as it it possibly could be. No, and I'm really looking forward to hearing your thoughts on that because I think that's a really key point. You know, it's, um, it should be, you should be encompassing exercise just as a, a general, you know, for well-being as well as you're saying you know it gives you the confidence makes you feel more alert and it goes hand in hand with that healthy diet healthy lifestyle rather than just a short-term thing that you're going to say right I've got I'm going out on the weekend and I need to you know make the you know the waistline feel a bit slimmer you know so it has to be sort of a long-term thing I think something you do every day yeah, definitely. And I really like caution people against what you just mentioned, that kind of debit credit thing where it's like, okay, I've been out and I've had all the pizza, so I'm going to have to run a half marathon the next day. Again, it just becomes punishing and it should not be like that. Um, you should be able to have a pizza and enjoy it and you don't need to then, you know, hit hit the treadmill, whatever it is the next day. And then that, that's again where we've kind of lost our way with exercise. And again, I think this is because the fitness industry uh, in some in some ways is now, you know, kind of, it's, it's changed a lot over the years. If you look back to what our kind of parents and grandparents were doing to kind of stay fit and healthy, there's been some key changes in our lifestyle and social media is, is kind of a big part of our life now as well. So you'll constantly have this newsfeed of, of what exercise is and what you should be doing and what you should look like. And so it's really then difficult to, to, as we just said, kind of understand what's a, you know, what is really right for you, what's beneficial for your body, what's sustainable what are you going to enjoy? And again, that's why I want to go through some of the myths with you and, and get people to really understand, you know, how, th- how they can find something sustainable that they love doing that, you know, again, brings out the best in them. Absolutely. Yeah. And no, I'm really looking forward to hearing about that because yeah, as you say, show, social media, people get comparisonitis and, and it does. And in turn, it does affect <laughs> their mental health because people get anxiety, people get down and they're looking at how everyone else is looking and, you know, thinking that that's the norm, you know? So, um, when the reality is it isn't so so what got you into so you started with the fitness and the running so how did you get into the nutrition because that was something that piqued your interest and you thought that they went hand in hand so what led you to study the naturopathic nutrition diploma 
at CNM? Well, I think I worked as a personal trainer previously. And again, I was really lucky in that I think I actually had personal training myself. And that really got me interested in, in learning exercise skills and the benefits of strength training, which wasn't something I'd done. I was a runner, you know, just cardio, really running and swimming all through my 20s. And I noticed a big difference again in, in lots of different areas. Confidence was one when I actually had a personal trainer teach me how to use some weights and saw again changes in my strength. And that was again really motivating. And then I, they, many of them convinced me to become a personal trainer because they could see I was passionate about it. And I love that I did group exercise. But there was always an element to which I loved working with clients on nutrition. And um, as someone who'd then for you know 15 years learned how to, well, kind of taught myself really, but what was what I considered healthy food. And it's not that dissimilar now in terms of what I was doing, uh, you know, lots of vegetables and, and porridge and things like that and, and balancing my blood sugars. Um, I loved guiding clients through that process. So I always knew that that was probably where I was a little bit more interested. And I think as a personal trainer, I went on a bit of a journey trying to find what I thought might be the perfect diet for um, all of my clients and, and myself. And I got a little bit mm-hmm. distracted at times again with social media kind of popped up um, just as I became a personal trainer, as in Facebook was launched and um, Instagram came a bit later. And so you're suddenly made aware of all of these different kind of dietary models. So obviously they're, you know, paleo diet or a ketogenic diet, or there was, uh, you know, kind of plant-based diets. And I was getting lots of questions and also just interested myself for, for my, you know, for my own health, like what, what should I be doing? And the, the kind of key catalyst for me deciding to go and invest in a, in a qualification was to know more for my clients, but actually my mum was around this time diagnosed with breast cancer. And, mm-hmm. um, I still remember that phone call very vividly. And the first thing that it did was kind of kick me into action. And I said, right, I'm coming to all the appointments with you. I want to know about your treatment plan. And at those appointments with her, I would always ask, what can she do in terms of nutrition and lifestyle? And is there any supplements that she could take that might be safe and really supportive? And there wasn't really any guidance given at that time. So this would have been, I think it was, it would have been 10 years ago now. She was just told not to wear deodorant and that was it. Oh, wow. Um, Really? Yeah. And if, and it was really interesting going to her radio, um, Ted Radiotherapy, we'd go to the appointments together and she said often, in the waiting room, she wished that there could have been a bit of a kind of coffee morning or something. So she could have spoken to the other people, but everyone sits there quite quietly, you know, doesn't really interact. Um, and again, I thought, well, that's an opportunity that there could have been someone there guiding them through a bit of, you know, lifestyle or, you know, even yoga meditation support would have been really helpful. But interestingly, the deodorant point got me kind of looking around at things that she could do. And I was in Whole Foods one day and saw this poster for um, a talk by a nutritionist that was for people who'd been diagnosed with cancer. And it was on um, covering what they could do in terms of their personal skincare and um, household products to try to minimize chemicals in the house. So yeah. I took my mum along to that. And uh, that was actually a lecturer from CNM um, who was talking at that event. And I kind of dominated the event a little bit because there was about <laughs> 20 people there. And actually they did say initially, you can't come if you've not been diagnosed with cancer. But I said that I really need to come with my mum because I'm supporting her. And I think it's likely going to be me that nags her about this stuff. It was a bit of a joke, but they said, okay, you can come along. But I ended up with asking lots of questions that many of the other people there said that they found useful. So it was very much focused on food and I just wanted to know what's safe. So I was asking questions like, you know, should the fish be organic or what about farmed versus wild? Is meat okay? Uh, you know, all these things that you, you read about when you know, with cancer and yeah. 
you know, kind of associations with food. And I just remember thinking that the the lecturer at the time was just so kind of um, compassionate and empathetic and and um, not non-judgmental in how she spoke to all of us. Very encouraging, very empowering, and. Um, I remember thinking then I'd love to be able to do this to educate people in this vulnerable position and, and and help them to be put some things in place that you know support their treatments. And I asked her, you know, I'd actually come across functional medicine at this time as well. And uh, I actually spoke to her and said, you know, I've been looking at functional medicine and I've been looking at different nutrition courses. And and she mentioned that she lectured at CNM and um, I actually didn't do any research in terms of costs or anything. I just walked straight in and signed up oh, because great. I think I, I love was, that. <laughs> just on a mission really um just spoke to my partner and said this is what I'm gonna do and he was like then go for it because he knew also that I was really kind of dedicated you know in this field generally but also he knew I really wanted to to help my mum so that was kind of my my journey in yeah no that is amazing and I absolutely love that story and it is you know you go there and you were probably asking a lot of questions that other people might have been afraid to ask because I think sometimes you go to these talks and people you know just sit there but you know you were sort of hungry for that knowledge because you wanted to help your mum and I think that's really inspiring and um, yeah when you meet somebody that's doing a talk and all the knowledge they have you just want to know as much as them don't you and it does it kickstarts you into going right I need to go and learn this stuff. Yeah definitely and I think it's there is I you know when you're kind of aware that there is something there's more that everyone can be doing again it's about finding a trusted source and that's what I felt I'd found you know in that situation and and that's when you know obviously then I I realized I wanted to go and do a qualification so I could then feel more confident in the advice I I was kind of crowdsourcing a lot of information which I still do now I still follow certain individuals in the industry different types of nutritionists different trainers all of them have brilliant skill set which they can offer you but there's also an element to which there's a bit of personal bias um, mm-hmm. in terms of when anyone's talking about something, there's confirmation bias, they put something in place, they feel a benefit. So I'm also kind of aware now that it's really good to have different sources, you know, in, in terms of when I'm trying to put together some information um, yes. learning different ways. But uh, I also knew that even just helping my personal training clients, I wanted to feel confident that I had uh, an insurance and, and a qualification as well. So I was, aware of supplements and in, and personal trainers sometimes recommend things like fish oils and you know magnesium and things like that but I was kind of conscious do I actually have you know am, am I supposed to be doing this is it within my scope of practice as a personal trainer and it was a bit of a gray area so this is mm-hmm. where I also wanted to go and have professional kind of insurance behind me as well and again another reason I wanted to to go and do a formal qualification. No absolutely and I think that's really key because I think as you say, you know, a lot of personal trainers do are saying that they're also uh, qualified in nutrition and they've quite often only done like a short course or a weekend course or whatever. And it's certainly not at the same level as like the naturopathic nutrition diploma at CNN, which is a three-year comprehensive course with clinical practice. And um, yeah, so it does make a difference. And I think if you're giving you know, that service and, you know, that information to people, you need to make sure that your training is... Uh, is excellent. So now over the past few years, you've built a hugely successful business, Fitter Food, with your partner, oh, Matt, and your you. gorgeous doggy, Hamish. <laughs> yeah. We can't forget Hamish. He's so cute. Um, where you help people get fit and healthy through your range of online plans, consultations, and a membership program. Can you please tell us a bit about the work you do and how Fitter Food came to be? Yeah, so I actually wrote uh, our first book. I actually wrote in uh, whilst I was at CNM studying because I just felt like I was learning so much, and 
I was trying to put it into handouts for clients as in because I was personal training lots of clients at this point in time just basic things on blood sugar balance and an anti-inflammatory diet and mm-hmm. I got carried away with the, the the handouts and I remember showing them I was like I'll turn them into a book and my partner Matt was also a trainer and we would get home very late at night but we would still cook food that we felt was you know nutritious and and really important for again kind of fueling what we did our lifestyle so we've we got very fast at what we cooked and we didn't have too many ingredients because we didn't have time to think about that and it had to be minimal cooking skills because neither of us were yeah. you know trained in, <laughs> in the world trained us, and <laughs> yeah and so we um yeah we started to write up the recipes for clients as well and it was this i remember it just being this kind of pdf and i showed it to a friend and she suggested um, turning it into a book. And at the time I was also, one of my clients was a book designer. So she was brilliant in designing it all up into a book. And then we actually decided to um, just self-publish and, and print a load of copies and eventually got a publishing deal off the back of that and and then did a second book as well. So, um, and that was really the feedback from that was was more about the, um, we never set out to write a book. That's the interesting thing when, <laughs> when people ask me about it, <laughs> we set out to just share some information that we thought would actually be hugely beneficial sometimes life and people said life-changing in terms of just showing them how to eat properly again which has definitely been lost as we've had this massive industrialization of our food and you know yeah. kind of we've just changed how we source our food and and we've lost the art of cooking in our life and my mum was appalled at some of the things that <laughs> that I would eat in my early 20s in university even when I was trying to be healthy <laughs> she was like I've, I've you know I've always taught you home co- home cooked food but you just you know I just moved to London I was busy it just falls out of, of your lifestyle essentially. And then you don't have the confidence yeah. to do it. And I wouldn't have the confidence to host a dinner party or cook, you know, for even my partner at that, that time, I wouldn't have dared cook for them for fear of kind of messing it all up. So it's something I had to build back into my life. And then you get more and more confident with it, the more you do just like exercise really. Yes, definitely. Oh no, I love that. And that's the thing I think, you know, quick, simple, healthy meals is what people are looking for. Everyone's busy. And I think sometimes people get a bit overwhelmed, don't they? That they've got to cook these sort of, you know, extravagant meals and, you know, be in the kitchen for hours and hours. So, you know, but they don't, you know, it can be quite simple and easy. So... Yeah, definitely. And I think that, and we actually expanded into doing things like plans because we also felt like it had to be a lifestyle transformation, not just a a nutrition or a body, you know, transformation, which are the kind of the terms that you often see put out there. Um, So we developed a lot of products that ask people to look at things like their sleep and doing some stress management and you know, obviously exercise was, was part of the process as well, but we also found that getting people together in, in Facebook groups online was hugely beneficial in that we, we kind of guided, we were in there daily in the ones that we run now, we've got a, a 365, Fitter 365 program, which is just runs all year round, but Great. we're in there constantly just trying to show people that this isn't something you do for six weeks and it's not something that mm-hmm. you stop and start and you don't go back to, um, you know, the beginning it is something that you just implement day in day out and for some individuals it probably might need to start with sleep um, because actually sleep has a massive impact on your appetite it actually increases appetite hormones if you get disrupted broken sleep and then obviously you have cravings because you're tired it'd be hard to you know limit your caffeine then you wire yourself yes. on caffeine and then you need alcohol to bring yourself down after that you know so yeah. it, it can be the sleep that is for some people an area to start with so again increasingly we've tried to get people to understand that all of it needs implementing. And what you probably do is start with the one that you think will make the biggest difference, which for a lot of people is the food, but sometimes it, it can be other factors. 
Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely key. Okay, great. So let's now move on to the nitty gritty of exercise and how to keep ourselves fit and healthy. Now, can you please just explain the role of exercise in achieving optimal health and how someone can implement an exercise routine that's going to work for them? Yeah. So again, most people start exercise purely based on on kind of weight loss or another body composition goal. And that's kind of increased with social media and I think you're now seeing this really affect teenagers and again young adults much more I think we were all vulnerable to it at that that point in time because this is when you start to assess your physique a little bit more and mm-hmm. um and and now obviously there's lot a lot more imagery around and one of the first things I often get people to do is try to follow people online who are actually much more balanced in their approach um showing you a different side there's some great body positive kind of uh, role models out there now as well but in terms of the benefits of exercise, there's lots and lots of research now that's showing just kind of beyond a healthy body composition, actually having a little bit more muscle mass is helpful for the prevention of things like osteopenia and osteoporosis. And one of the cool things about muscles is that muscles, they build quite quickly and they can then influence bone. So there's a recommendation now that, that all women should be doing some weight-bearing exercise in their teen, teens and in their young adult life, which was, I certainly never heard this as a teenager. Um, oh, there's wow. so much things that we should, should have done should as have teenagers that would make a big difference. Yeah. And what kind of age? So usually we build peak bone mass up to the age of about 30. So there's a recommendation that if we start doing some weight-bearing exercise, and it's kind of in physical education PE that's offered at school because there's you know gymnastics and hockey and things like that. So there's a lot of jumping and running so that is weight-bearing exercise. There isn't okay. strength training, which I'm hoping might change. You know, we actually start to see more calisthenics, so body weight training and, and using dumbbells and things like that because also it doesn't have to be impact-based necessarily. So weight-bearing doesn't have to be a lot of jumping around which obviously increases your risk of injury so kettlebells and, and dumbbell work and even using machines and um, resistance um, band training that kind of stuff can be really helpful for um, you're kind of influencing you'll build your peak bone mass at the age of 30 but then again if you start to do this you know throughout your life and it's more important for women because there's a greater risk of, of osteopenia osteoporosis as well with them but for all adults um it's, it's helpful to do that weight-bearing exercise. But what I was also going to say is if you build muscle, it then also influences bone. So you'll build muscles, you'll also get stronger ligaments and tendons. So that's going to help minimize your risk of injury by building more stable joints. Um, but we see that muscle will build and then and kind of almost speak to bone. Bone is live tissue. So you actually see it encourage these cells called osteoblasts, which will help to build, uh, build the bone back and make it stronger. So again, any clients that I have you often get menopausal women uh usually women who've been underweight and and again sometimes um you can also get inflammatory conditions which can lead to osteopenia osteoporosis as well so I'll often encourage them to start to do some strength training where possible or even stronger forms of yoga where you're holding the positions for long periods of time again you'll strengthen the wrists and those smaller joints uh, which is going to be hugely helpful. And of course, you meet calcium needs and, and vitamin D and K2, and there's, there's lots of micronutrients needed for, for kind of strong, healthy bones as well. So I often kind of encourage that side of things. And there's also new research just talking about how you, you might have seen this already, that the more muscle you have, muscles are really good at, at pulling glucose out of the bloodstream and they'll use it for an energy source or to store glycogen. 
So if you have more muscle mass, it's now being associated with longevity. It's being associated with lowering your risk of chronic diseases. If you have a chronic disease, it can actually start to improve maybe the conventional treatment that you're having with that as well. And it's being applied to Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. Um, with diabetes type 2, they're now looking at getting individuals to do um, weight-bearing exercise, but also even things like a little bit of interval training, which is a good way to kind of keep hold of muscle mass as well, rather than necessarily doing lots of cardio work. Um, but interval training just before you eat food, two to six minutes, it's called a, a movement snack in the science, is really good for helping control your post-meal blood sugar levels. So wow. there's lots of cool studies out there just suggesting how exercise can actually not just lower your risk of disease, but help in that kind of, um, you know, whatever treatment you're having or recovery or maybe even reversal of disease as well. And, and, and muscle mass is associated with longevity. So living longer, but mm -hmm. I just want to kind of explain here. It doesn't have to be the, the, when I think of muscle mass, I think everyone thinks of bodybuilding straight away and, yes. just, you know, it, you know, big biceps and, you know, and that, that doesn't, when you look around in the gym, you'll often see people who have muscle mass, but aren't necessarily good movers. And the two have to really come together because movement yes. is also fundamental for the health of the different tissues that are all around the body. It's how we deliver nutrients to cells and it's how we deliver oxygen and it's how the, all cells could create waste products and they need to be detoxified. So when you're thinking about kind of you know optimal health, you want to think about, you know, your hands, your feet, the whole of the body. And, and if you don't move these certain areas, if you're just constantly doing bicep curls or even worse, if you're just sedentary, then you can have really sedentary areas and actually diseased areas of your body and then other areas can be healthy. So it's, it's really yes. incredible how much it influences the DNA and, and or the, DNA, the transcription translation processes of the cells. And, and that's why if you look back through time, a lot of traditional cultures have kind of movement in their lifestyle that was very much... Um, you know, they would sit down and do a deep squat. That's how they might eat their food or how they might do some, some kind of daily chores. Um, they might do something like Tai Chi or Qigong in kind of uh, Eastern cultures. So that's moving the wrists and the fingers and the neck and every single joint is, is moved and mobilized every single day to get that, that benefit. Um, you know, as I said, was kind of how we deliver nutrition all around mm -hmm. the body. No, that's a really key point, Keris, because I think what some people, as you say, think they need to go and like, you know, do all these weights, whereas something like even yoga or Pilates is still going to be, would that be weight bearing? Would that, those sort of be good for the muscles as well? Something more gentle like that? Yeah. So more of the, the stronger forms of yoga, definitely where you're kind of doing planks and downward dog and maybe even like arm balances that so they're, they're hugely beneficial. I like Pilates, but I often suggest to clients because most of it is floor based, there still needs to, it needs to transfer into the movements. Like it needs to almost reflect and reflect the types of movements that you do every single day. So in terms of engaging your core, that might be quite helpful, but it's, it's, it's you sat there thinking about engaging your core when you're doing Pilates. Whereas when you do something like a front squat and hold a weight in front of your chest and squat down, then your core has to engage. Otherwise you fall flat on your face. <laughs> so yes. there's lots of yeah. different ways to, to kind of, uh, you know, train the things that Pilates aims to do. But I still use Pilates exercises often in, in kind of, I'll mix them up with some kettlebells or, or some yoga. Um, I think one of the most important things for, for a lot of people is that there's, there's, a good element of variety, but that a program supports, you want to have some strength in there. So you're, you're constantly making some progress, maybe feeling a little bit of muscle soreness, which no one likes, but it means that you, you really challenge the muscles and then they, 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 they stress them and they build back stronger. 
Then you yeah. want to have an element of stability and mobility. So stability is things like balance work. So you can stand on one leg and, um, you know, that's also been shown to be really beneficial for cognitive function to do balance work and challenge that. No one likes it. I teach a yoga class and everyone gets really angry when they can't balance <laughs> on one leg. And no one it's likes hard. what they can't do, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I often say this is the stuff we have to do because it's it's injury proofing your body. And again, it's a big part of that kind of neuromuscular um, function as well. Um, mobility is kind of uh, what I love about yoga is you do kind of get the flexibility element, but ideally you want maybe a flow element to it to give you mobility. So there's also moving through different positions just to, again, think about getting blood flow to the joints, making sure they're not jammed up and tight all the time, which again means that we can't get oxygen to them and we can't, uh, you know, often they can't detoxify. You get buildup of lactic acid. It feels sometimes sore to touch certain areas of your body because they're so kind of jammed up and tense. But many of these, uh, if, if you're not moving your body in this way as well, you do then start to affect your posture, which also, you know, will then transfer into increasing your risk of, or then maybe contribute, sorry, to increasing your risk of injury, or again, can even affect your immune system health. Because again, you've, you see people with poor posture, they're all rounded, they start to get stiff backs and, and that can affect mm-hmm. spinal health. And, and just think about all of the different kind of areas the immune system is trying to work and the spine is, is, and the neck and the, and the head is a, is a big area for our immune system. It wants to be able Definitely. to move around, the fluid has to flow. So that's why I'm a big fan of, of mobility. And again, if you look back at things like um, Tai Chi or just even kind of mobility routines that people have been doing, moving their neck and their shoulders and things like that, it's really important. And I think, and the final one is is kind of core and, and coordination. So um, just again, that, that helps in terms of if you're going to lift something off the ground, you want to make sure that you're not doing it with your legs straight and just lifting using your back because that's going to cause problems for you eventually so it's always good to, to kind of again you've you've trained in a way that means that your core engages and you lift in a coordinated way using upper and lower body um and the final part is kind of cardiovascular so again we should be able to do at least brisk walking for you know 20 to 40 minutes obviously that changes with age but you don't want to be setting off you know for a walk and, and puffing and panting you know after 10 minutes and thinking gosh you know mm-hmm. that, that, that isn't an ideal when you look at you know the blue zones where people live to uh, most of the centenarians are in these blue zones and they would have worked all day long you know usually doing some kind of manual labor or just walking around I think the average step count of the blue zone is 16,000 steps so lots of low level movement gentle raising of the heart rate but not necessarily and, and super fit as a result of it yeah but not necessarily yeah. going for a run <laughs> yeah no oh no I feel really motivated like, I need to get out there and do some exercise now you're you're motivating me Karis <laughs> now, just to clarify for those who aren't familiar what osteopenia is that's the bone loss before osteoporosis and then osteoporosis is when you sort of get the weaker bones that become more fragile and uh, brittle Yes, sorry. And and what happens then is you get an increased risk of a, a fracture because you've got the brittle bones. And, and that's why the muscles, training the muscles and strengthening your ligaments and tendons with, again, stability training and holding positions for long periods of time with weights or in yoga will actually stabilize the joints so they're less likely to fracture. So again, it's really beneficial if you've been diagnosed with that. There's, again, it's just I sometimes just wish this information was more public in terms of how much exercise can help as I've mentioned, reverse diseases, prevent diseases, alleviate the symptoms and help with the mental health as well. Because once you've been diagnosed with something, it's scary and 
you know, it's the first thing I see in a lot of people is, is fear. And the second is guilt that they haven't mm-hmm. done something sooner or did they do something to cause this condition? And, and that's also a really destructive emotion to be carrying around with you. Absolutely. It really is. Okay. So now there are so many exercise myths flying around, such as like you need to go to the gym every day to see a difference or workout should be like at least for an hour at a time. Um, I'm hoping you're going to be able to bust some of these myths for us today. So, so what are some common exercise myths you hear time and time again? Um, so I think the main one is something becomes fashionable. Um, so HIT as kind of high intensity interval training has really had mm-hmm. its moment and everybody's been doing it for a long time now. I think it's become, it's, it's, it's getting, a, there's a bit more balance out there now because I think the main thing we always think with both food and exercise really is the more extreme it is, the more likely it is to work. <laughs> and yes, it, very it doesn't true. work like that at all. <laughs> so, so the harder, you know, the more, and supplements as well. So, you know, we think it's very interesting. It's very appealing. You know, I've never done this before. What is it? And, uh, you know, I'm going to expect some results from it. Whereas we're constantly taking people back to the basics, do the basics brilliantly when it comes to movement, to food, and, you know, even supplements, very basic uh, supplements can be really, really effective. And so I think with the, the interval training side of things, or just generally always looking at intensity, it doesn't need to be like that. And actually, with a lot of people, I think they'd do better to focus more on that kind of low level movement across the day. So especially mm-hmm. with lockdown, what I've been saying is you've now got the opportunity to do a little bit of gardening or clean out the kitchen cupboards, clean the windows. And people don't see this as exercise, but no. low level movement, it just means that you're constantly having a calorie expenditure and energy expenditure. It's very mobilizing to squat down and clean the kitchen floor as well. <laughs> you're working on your mobility. Definitely. And and like the blue zones, your step count's just ticking up over the day, but you're also getting through your to-do list. So you're not kind of got to dash to the gym. Oh, then I've got to shower, come back. Oh, now I've got to clean the kitchen. You know, we add too much into our day at the moment. And so then people just give up on the exercise side of things. So I think it doesn't have to be that, that level of intensity. And, and many days I often say that that should just be a couple of times a week, maybe two, maybe four. Really depends on your age, your stress levels in your life generally. So I think everyone needs to start looking at what I call their kind of total allostatic load, which is their total stress load and then adapt their exercise accordingly because on a busy week with work, constantly on Zoom, personally, I think most people just need to get out into some beautiful space, woodland, or even the streets sometimes is fine and just walk, mm-hmm. um, yeah. you know, brisk walk, get the heart rate up, bit of yoga when you get back. And that's that's the job done. And nutrition really makes the biggest difference when we're thinking about body composition. So how many times are you eating a week versus how many times can you exercise so that's, you know, if your focus is there and you're not not doing too much kind of training that's making you hungry all the time and crave sugar, it's a lot easier to, to, to kind of make the right choices around your meals. So I think really a big takeaway for the big myth here is I'm trying to say it doesn't have to be that intense and, and sweaty yeah. and you're knackered and you've gone to failure with everything to, to believe it to be effective. No, and I think many people one. will be um, will be liking to hear that because I think you know people get scared of exercise, don't they? Sometimes they think they it has got to be you know if they're tired or they've had a rough day at work, you know, exercise can be the, the best thing you can do. But some people think, oh, I'll just give it a miss tonight because you know it feels like too hard basket. Whereas what you're saying, you could just go for a walk around the block. That's it. And your point on how long it needs to be is another one where everyone thinks there are guidelines around exercise. But again, if you're doing a bit more physical activity around the house, walking part of your commute, anything like that, then you can 
cover your physical activity recommendations, which is, you know, anywhere between 20 to 40 minutes daily. Um, but that length of a session, again, it really comes down to if you've got 10 minutes, there's a lot you can do in 10 minutes. And again, doesn't need to be you know, super fast, super quick. You could just do some some weighted squats and you could do 10 sets and 30 seconds on, 30 seconds off. And if you just do that, my, my partner's a big fan of doing these 10 minute, 10 rounds of things, which is horrible at the time to do 10 rounds or something. <laughs> but then you, then you realize you actually can't, you know, uh, not, I'm not going to say you can't walk. That's not really what you should do with your sessions, but I'll feel that the next day. I'll be like, oof, my, Pretty my hardcore, legs. Like, yeah. Really, yeah, basically. <laughs> It's just because it was 10 rounds. So if you've got 10 minutes, you can do 10 minutes. You can do a lot in, in 30 to 40 minutes. It does not need to be that kind of, you know, 45 minutes to an hour. And I think if anything, people start faffing around after about 40 minutes, you know, so often in gyms, you'll see people on their phones and things like that. And mm-hmm. um, again, I think lockdown's taught us maybe what we could do, just just basically being at home. And, and the second thing is you can break it up into 10 minutes in the morning and 10 minutes in the evening as well. Um, try and do a, a relatively good warm up or just stay quite active across your day doing things like stretches while the kettle boils, but break it mm-hmm. up if, if that's much more feasible. If you've got kids to your homeschooling, maybe still some people are, or again, you've, you've got lots of meetings kind of on zoom that you have to have to be at. So I think that, and when it comes to things like strength training, just don't underestimate what one session a week could do for you two would be fantastic and again if you love it and you want to do more then many people kind of up it to three to four but you will get results just doing one to two and and people think Mm -hmm. it's not worth it it won't make a difference but it absolutely does so and I encourage you to just do whatever feels like the minimum and and don't be you know and and be realistic when you first get started many clients say to me I can't get started because the thought of doing an hour you know and that's when I say well don't then just do let's let's start with 15 minutes and 15 minutes of of body weight squats and some push-ups and that's it and then you're going to build up really gradually and because this is for life we've got to find a way to make it realistic enjoyable sustainable so if a if an exercise professional puts you onto a program that you're scared of or within two weeks you're knackered or the thought of doing everything fills you with dread, it's not the right program for you. It shouldn't feel like that. It should feel a bit more, I often say, see it as an adventure, get excited about it. You could be yes. a, an Olympic lifter that you just, you know, you never knew you were until you give <laughs> that, that training. You could be a fantastic boxer, but you've never even put the gloves on. So see it as an adventure and everybody finds something eventually that they, they're, they're good at and they love. So even yeah, if it's cleaning the windows. <laughs> well, that's it. <laughs> Start cleaning all your neighbours' windows as well, you know. Make a little yeah, exactly. Career out of it. Money. Uh, yeah. yeah, well, that's it. But it is, it's, it's what you say. It's about trying different things out and actually making time. And I think what's a good thing to do is, like, schedule it in. Because I think, you know, putting it in your calendar, I know sometimes it's not feasible to do it, but I think if you don't, like I know if I don't do some exercise in the morning, by the time I sit down at my desk and start work, then there's never a right time to do it. And then you're like, oh, the day's just gone. And then you're rushing out the door or whatever. So I think it's, you know, what's a good time for you to do exercise? And it's just committing to it, even if it is just that 10 minutes, you know, when you get up in the morning or last thing at night, just whatever's going to be feasible for you and just um, making it happen, really. Absolutely. And I think it's a really good point you make. I actually had this discussion with a client this week where they were doing that thing of delaying, starting work in the morning and delaying exercise, then it just wasn't happening. And I said, you have to take this this hour for yourself in the morning, this power hour, um, make it part of your morning routine and 
you know, yeah. ideally don't go on to emails and things. And, and if it's just some gentle walking and some meditation, it's still, it's still hugely beneficial for you. It makes a big difference to your day, but some mornings you're going to be able to find that you've got a little bit more that you could do that, that workout in, in that. But as you just said, if you're, if it's not happening later, then, then, you know, <laughs> you've just got to kind of accept that and, and just know you're going to have to be that, that morning exerciser. And the second thing I have to yeah. talk about in those situations is you might need to add initially an element of accountability because no one likes it when they first get started. It feels uncomfortable. The gym kit can feel uncomfortable. It could be a, an alien environment. So it really helps to try to get a friend involved or sign up to an online program or personal trainer. And again, with personal trainers, you can often just have them initially like I did just for those first few sessions. And then they'll write programs for you to carry on by yourself. But you know, you're not naturally meant to kind of you know backflip into exercise and just go, yeah, I've got this. You know, it's, not, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's easy. It's, it's all going to feel uncomfortable and hard, but that does change. And I cannot I can emphasize that point enough. And I was not at school. I was the worst in PE. I was um, really small in height. So in things like gymnastics and stuff, I couldn't even get onto the box and I tripped over so many times <laughs> in races. I was rubbish at hockey, got hit in the face with the netball. Like I was a disaster. So when people see me now from school and they're like, well, you're a trainer, you know, but I built all those skills in my adult life because I went on that adventure of like, what else can I do? You know, so. Absolutely. And I think it's when you put your mind to something, you can you can do anything really. And I think when she starts seeing the results, as you said before, once you started seeing the beneficial results, it just motivated you further and you thought, Oh, I want to keep doing this. And I think a lot of people do that when they get into exercise, don't they? Yeah. And on, on that journey, I would also say just try to keep that balance. That's why it's good to have coaches and, and people that you trust. Cause I definitely went the other way and did too much exercise for a while. I definitely was addicted to it. Um, and I was lucky to have some people who pulled me back and, and said, you know, there's no benefit to what you're doing more. And that's another myth with exercise is it's not just the extreme, uh, sorry, the, the intensity. People think more is better. And actually this is really important. It's in the science now. There's a, a U-shaped curve with exercise where just the right amount is, is beneficial, but not enough. And, and being sedentary is associated with increased risk of heart disease, of, of diabetes and, and other kind of chronic diseases. But the same thing happens with a U-shaped curve if you swing the other way and do too much. So people that are doing these kind of ultra marathons and hours and hours of training, they are actually increasing their risk now of we know cardiovascular disease, getting high blood pressure. We think it's the, the inflammation that takes place with exercise. Mm, it's actually driving okay. these, these chronic conditions. So if you're doing any of those things and actually neglecting your nutrition, then that's probably going to not, it's not going to end well. And usually people get injured if they, if they neglect their nutrition and, and aren't kind of doing recovery restoration and loads of things like foam rolling and, and fascia release and, and massage and stuff like that, yoga, whatever it might be, mobility to kind of make sure they do the the opposite of the intensity and the, the kind of muscles contracting all the time. But it's just really interesting seeing it now be associated with disease. So you've actually seen some ultra marathon professionals have um, atherosclerosis, which is plaque forming in the in the blood vessels as a result of all that inflammation. So again, it's, 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 it's making everyone rethink what's behind heart disease. It's not just like we thought, you know, associated with sedentary lifestyles and poor diets, it's actually stress and inflammation can be a big part of that as well. Yeah, absolutely. So I just wanted to move on to sort of um, common training mistakes that people make. I know we've touched on a few of them, but what other common training mistakes would people make when they do exercise? And are there any other essentials that we need to do religiously every time we go and work out? 
So I think another thing will be kind of not looking at a training structure. Um, and that's again, what, what my partner and I, and he's been into sports all of his life. He really, but he has a pretty impressive physique because he's trained most of his life, life. And people think that he must train every single day and lift weights every single day. And, uh, and he doesn't, he really does structure a combination of one day it's strength training. The next day it's walking Hamish. And the next day it's doing some mobility work because he's also wants to remain injury free, wants to be a good mover. He's very into sports. So he always wants to be, you know, be able to, mm-hmm. to sprint or it's unboxing and all sorts. Um, and I think that's, you know, something to really consider that, that you don't do a trend I used to see when I worked in a London gym was train quite hard Monday to Friday and then do nothing over the weekend and then start again. And there was just no structure to yeah. it. So we, we actually build muscle and see the benefits of training in the, in the rest period. So that's why I often explain to people during exercise, we're catabolic, which means we're breaking down tissues. And then we have this, this anabolic, it's a a good stress for the body to have, but then we have this anabolic phase that must follow, which anabolic is when we build in in the body. And that's a term that's kind of associated with bodybuilding, but we should all want phases of being anabolic. It's how we repair joints. It's how we, we build new cells. And that comes when we are eating, resting, sleeping, meditating. So our brain can just like rebuild and you know, <laughs> take some time out. And that's really important. So I think having structure and it doesn't have to be, you know, it can be two days on one day off. It doesn't have to follow a seven day uh, process. And the next thing I'd say is uh, people often get kind of carried away with one type of exercise, maybe that they are good at. So if you're good at cardi- cardiovascular CV work, which is, I'm, I found a natural kind of, I just did a bit of gene testing and you don't need to do this necessarily because I already knew it from the training I did. Um, endurance feels really easy for me. So I can run and cycle and swim for hours um, I can bore everybody with <laughs> the same exercise over <laughs> and over again. <laughs> strength and power doesn't come naturally to me. So I have to train it, but that's exactly what I should do as well. So don't just do the things that you're really good at. Um, and again, do them longer and, and more often, which is what people tend to do with exercise. Try to do some things that you're not good at. Try to be, I call it, I, I say a jack of all health, but a jack of all exercise. So you start mm-hmm. to add in those other elements, which is, you know, it might be balance work, core, it might be um, some strength work in amongst your cardio work that, that you're doing. And I think the, the biggest mistake everyone is making at this point in time is also just not investing in recovery, which looks like doing, um, yeah. it could be that you get a, a foam roller or a tennis ball and you uh, use it to do self-massage. It's called fascia release. And the fascia, this soft tissue that is all over the body, I think uh, in Chinese medicine, they call it the organ that is everywhere that has no form. It's a massive part of, it, it contracts when we're training and it, it contracts when we're stressed. So it's actually a massive part of a function within the body, organ function. It, it, it influences our gut, it influences our posture. You know, I mentioned earlier, lots of people after working at home and being on Zoom for hours probably now have a kind of a rounded upper back. So it's a kyphotic posture where the upper back rounds and the chest is all tight because we're just constantly over phones and laptops. And mm-hmm. then it's really hard to, that, that tissue doesn't feel healthy. It doesn't, it's generally not healthy once it's kind of contracted, it can get stuck um, or locked in that position. And then it can become, as we mentioned, like overly tense and painful. And, and suddenly when you're stressed, you, you notice you've got neck pain and back pain. And, um, and this is where that, that kind of recovery works. So as well as doing things like yoga and mobility, a tennis ball and in, in, in placing it in the chest, get some guidance on this. It's, it's, you know, you'll see lots of things on YouTube on um, foam rolling and um, fascia release, but um, 
it's, it's just really important. And then what you do is once you've done that massage work or the, the soft tissue work, you then do some stretches and, and also making sure that your training program is, is balanced in that if you're, for example, if you're rounded in your posture and all you ever do is run or row or cycle, you're rounding in your posture when you do those exercises. If all you ever do of classic is lots of people do loads of press ups in the gym and bench press and things like that and get very tight chest muscles, very rounded mm. again in the back. And then they, they weaken their postural muscles and their, their stronger muscles in the back, which they need to be able to pull and row. And often it leads to shoulder injuries and all sorts of, of, of elbow complications and things like that. So you need yeah. that balance of, um, my partner always says squat, push, pull, he says something else as well. <laughs> I, oh, I like that. Squat, but you push, will normally pull. okay. <laughs> squat push pull must be because you want those. those uh, oh, and hip hinge was the final one. And a hip hinge is um, a deadlift, kettlebell oh, row, a ket- kettlebell swing, and that that's um, yeah, simply kind of pushing the hips back activates the glutes and the hamstring. Um, so so you want that balance in in whatever you're doing, and and again that that transfers over to the types of cardio that you choose. You might be better choosing a cross trainer, for example, so you're upright if you've got the issues with your posture. So just try to get that balance in using the, you know, training your weaker muscles and um, and not overtraining your stronger muscles because that, again, will probably mean that joints move out of place and then, again, next thing you know, knee pain and then you can't do anything or, or hip pain or back pain. Yes, yes. Oh, that's fantastic. Some really great points because that's some, and things you don't think of because I think naturally we do – tend to do that I know myself you know I do like swimming or you know power walking whatever and you just tend to do the same thing over and over but yeah it's variety isn't it doing one thing as you say maybe like going for a swim one day then going for a run another day and then some weight training just breaking it all up I think yeah it's a really good way to to look at it so curious I just wanted to ask you now whenever I've done weights or sort of those weight bearing exercises in the past I build muscle quite quickly and it's always been that sort of worry that I don't want to have like these big bulging muscles um but just because I do build muscle quite quickly so as a woman and I know other women probably might struggle with this as well what's the best approach when we don't have like these big you know big guns essentially what what, what should we be doing to have those more leaner muscles so first of all, like I, I completely empathize with you because although lots of exercise professionals say, oh, women won't build muscle, it's really hard. Having worked with lots of women, some do uh, build them really quickly and some love it. And I think what the main, the main point is that you just, you know, feel comfortable in your own skin and you love what you're doing. And, and others have said, actually, I don't like this. And I went through a phase of, <laughs> um, I did a bit of kind of bodybuilding style training and ended up like ripping a lot of dresses and, oh, no. <laughs> and, and then decided to say, maybe I want something that's in the middle. Um, so what I would say is, um, first of all, again, it's, you can alter how you build muscle with the the rep range and the frequency of your training. So we just mentioned before that just a couple of sessions, one to two a week could make a big difference in terms of increasing your lean mass, which is helpful from a health perspective. But also if you stick to lower reps, you might want to stay between four and eight with the reps. Um, and therefore you're not kind of focusing on what we call hypertrophy, which is building size. That mm-hmm. tends to come with a lot of high repetition exercise, which is what most people do jump into. Hit workouts are kind of like this as well and conditioning and uh, maybe even some of the, the CrossFit side of things because um, that, that high repetition is, is kind of geared up towards as hypertrophy. So if you were just right. doing pure strength, you could you could adapt it that way. And then your nutrition also plays a bit of a role. So again, if you increase your meal frequency and there's an energy excess there, so you'll increase things like 
food generally, but specifically maybe more protein, you will build a little bit of size with that. So obviously try to get the energy balance side of things or again, seek support for that. Um, and that, and the final thing I'll just say is if you're doing a lot of training, there's a lot of stress, sometimes it's not muscle, it's, it's things like water retention and maybe even fats because you can still have body fat and then you build muscle as well. And so you feel bigger, but maybe don't feel like it, you know, maybe, you know, like it should do. And it's really hard because I don't like people necessarily focusing on body composition, but maybe it doesn't look like muscle. It just looks like you're bulky and, and lots of, you know, mm. individuals have expressed, you know, d- dissatisfaction with that and said, I don't feel like, you know, I should look like this. And again, that could be going back to looking at things like your nutrition, your sleep, a bit more recovery work. And then you actually see that your body composition improves as a result of that. So much easier than most people realize. Do less oh. and you get better results. <laughs> oh, I like that. Um, that's a really key point, actually, I think. That's it. People building muscle uh, where there's fat. So, so in that sort of sense, you would do perhaps obviously looking at your diet, pulling things back and then trying to do some more cardio stuff to burn more of that fat and then do the toning as well. Is that how you would approach it? Not necessarily. So again, one of the mistakes can be is you have to often see when people do a lot more cardio that they might actually, there's some suggestion that you may store, if you were doing cycling or running, you actually might store more fat in your intramuscular fat in your legs because this is where you're using those muscles all the time. So the body says, well, I might as well have muscle here and fat here. Um, and again, but running and cycling is high rep. It's it's over and over again using those muscles. So again, it might come back to a little bit of cardio is fine, but are you doing too much? And actually, would you be better mm-hmm. doing more walking and resting and sleeping, dialing that nutrition, and then you'll see improvements in your in your body composition. So that's where I really you know say that more does not equal better, and certainly doesn't necessarily equal better in terms of body composition. Of course, energy okay. balance rules. So you're still looking at energy in, energy out generally. Yeah, it's just not eating too much than what you're expending doing it exercise. Okay, fabulous. That's really great tip. So thank you for clarifying that for me. I just wanted to talk a little bit now just about the nutrition side of things because I, you know, I often hear people say, you know, how they struggle finding enough energy to work out or they find themselves flagging through a training session. So what are your dietary recommendations to help maintain energy levels and performance during training? And also some advice on tips on post-recovery nutrition. Yeah. So I think, I think it's important that people know that when you think about pre and post workout nutrition, pre workout nutrition is everything you've eaten that week, like a week before you work out and post workout nutrition is everything you're going to eat afterwards. So the pre post workout window gets really exaggerated, I think a little bit. And so much of it is actually psychological when individuals say that they, um, you know, struggling on a run because they didn't eat beforehand. When I say psychological, your stomach can be rumbling, but if you think about it, even the the leanest individuals who have like 8% body fat, you still got enough, you know, if you had to, so say if there was a disaster and, and, and something happened right now to you and you had to sprint, we would do because we've got enough energy stored in our body to, to run, you know, for days, essentially to last for days. So it's actually more that the, the body's very used to routine and cues. And so hunger itself is more of a cue of when you last ate, uh, not that you're, mm-hmm. you know, you're necessarily empty and in a need of energy. And, uh, and, and sometimes it can come off the back of a bad night's sleep. I definitely noticed that if I, Hamish can sometimes be like woofing in his sleep and keeps me up all night and he's jogging in, in his sleep. Like, <laughs> oh, and then I wake up <laughs> starving because he's just woken me up so many times. Um, but I think it's helpful to consider that what you've got to do is, is, is put a process in place with pre and post workout nutrition because some people feel better to train fasted and some people feel better fed. 
And it really depends on the gap that you've got between being able to have a meal and then being able to exercise in terms of pre-workout because it does take it it takes hours for that food to actually get to the muscles so you're not eating and it's going straight into your muscles but what it can do as i mentioned is it, it can just kind of makes you feel not hungry it can kind of stabilize your blood sugar levels a little bit so people feel better but if you've got three hours that's a good enough time for you to have a, probably a normal meal that has some protein some good carbs some whole food carbs i'm a big fan of things like sweet potatoes quinoa some brown rice uh, those types of things mm-hmm. so slow release rolled oats um and then usually again some some healthy fats in there as well it doesn't have to be dissimilar to what most of your meals would be that we'd recommend to, to regulate blood sugars um, if you've only got like an hour um, or, you know, an hour and a half, you want something that's a little bit quicker to digest. So this is where things like a smoothie and um, pureed fruit. Um, some people just have things like rice cakes with honey and honey's again, very quick in terms of digestion. So it's slightly refined. And this is a time when it gets to sports nutrition and you're doing a lot of exercise and looking at performance, you then get somebody who's specialized in this field to come in and design something a bit more tailored to what you're about to do, because you would mm-hmm. want something pre-workout maybe that would you know would help but I do know lots of people now that actually have nothing because they train early in the morning like you just mentioned they feel better just hydrating some people like a coffee or a tea just again for the little bit of caffeine that can be helpful pre-workout and then just go into the training session yeah and with the post-workout side of things again um I think one thing I'd be really careful of is if you've had a quite intense session a lot of people are into things like intermittent fasting, so they're not eating till lunchtime. But if you've trained in the morning and then you go the whole morning without food, for a lot of people I've seen that not work so well. It can really affect their mood. It can really affect their reproductive hormones, especially females. And it can kind of mean that they crash and get very angry about 11 or 30, but they're determined yes. to make, do their intermittent fast. So I think it's helpful for, again, post-workout window has been a little bit kind of uh, exaggerated from a, a science and health perspective because of the companies that would benefit from that mainly kind of protein powders you don't need to eat within that hour uh, but most people feel that they, they they're quite hungry usually within 40 30 40 minutes of exercise they, they, they want to have something they can maybe feel blood sugars they can feel a bit shaky a bit angry as we, we mentioned and but mm-hmm. women especially you do tend to see i think what i'd say about the intense exercise side of things is it's relatively new for I would say this generation of women in terms of the amount of women that are training like this. Um, I know my mum and, and my gran, uh, great gran, when I speak to them about exercise, because I started in my 20s, they'd ask me about going to the gym and they often said, we never did this. You know, this wasn't, mum did a bit of aerobics. <laughs> um, I don't think my gran or my my great grandma ever set foot in the gym. They just walked and had really busy lifestyles. No, same. Yeah, because they were just labor saving. There was no labor saving devices, so they were constantly moving around. You know, no remote yep. controls, even like cooking and cleaning and stuff, and taking kids and dogs out. So um, it's relatively new for for this generation, and I think you've got to be careful with intensity with the female body. It can really affect and the, and the men as well. It really affects the reproductive hormones, and I often say use your menstrual cycle and your libido. So menstrual cycle is just females, obviously, but libido is a really good marker of if you're pushing things too, too far, but if you also fasting for long periods of time, there's a chance that those kind of uh, fight or flight hormones are just continuing to, to, to rise. And what's great about when you eat is you release insulin and it's the, it's kind of the, the opposite of those hormones. So it will shut down cortisol and adrenaline. We release the insulin to, to digest food, but it's kind of also changing us hormonally at that point in time. So it might help in terms of 
bringing down the stress levels. And that's also quite helpful to note if you train late at night, you might really want to consider what you're having as your fa- as your final meal, because obviously bef- in the evening, you don't want to have a lot of adrenaline and cortisol kind of buzzing around your system. Um, so carbohydrates can be really helpful post-workout in terms of shutting down those hormones and also helping with sleep. So it kind of can increase your, your help with your kind of ser- serotonin, melatonin, which is your sleep hormone production and then, and then mm-hmm. gets you a better night's sleep. Can I just ask Kerry, so you know what you said with the libido, so if somebody's exercising too much, is what you're saying, is if their libido goes down, then they need to kind of rein it back a bit. Is that what you mean? Yeah, so with, um, again, what you tend to see with intensity is it it, it can, it, it's, a, it's about the frequency and the intensity and obviously the, the rest of the life load, but it can really drive down the reproductive hormones and what I didn't mention, so, so men also have a second bit of feedback, which is their kind of morning glory. So they can also mm-hmm. use that as a, a bit of feedback. And I know one trainer said that he often used that as a measure of whether you should be training or not. Um, and I mentioned females have the menstrual cycle. So if the cycles are going short, they're very painful. Of course, nutrition is kind of a factor, sleep as well. But have you just, if you notice you've upped it again with the exercise, then it might be worth scaling back more rest recovery and just see if it improves things and the second thing i'd say on this is it seems to be a bit genetic and they there's there's different bits of research on this that some individuals seem to have higher output of hormones like prolactin when they do a lot of intense exercise which will shut down the menstrual cycle maybe or make it longer um or less frequent and so it's not everybody and that's it could be really hard with exercise because this is something i've struggled with is amenorrhea where my cycle disappears and it doesn't take much. It's a, it's a sensitive soul, my cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yes. And so I look at other women doing doing marathons and triathlons and I, and, and I definitely could not do that. My body just doesn't seem to be able to take that without actually, I've had tests done. This is kind of through conventional medicine. And you see my output of hormones that from my brain, which should stimulate my ovaries to release the sex hormones. It goes really low. Um, and, and it almost starts to, you know, so again, and this is related to stress generally exercise. And I also think the timing, if you're getting up really early doing exercise quite intense in the morning, it might just be too much when the brain's trying to figure out your pituitary gland in the brain is trying to assess the environment, what's going on, what's the priority. And if the mm-hmm. feedback is constant fight or flight, you know, go into a hip workout, this could be quite um, have a negative effect on, on the, um, on the sex hormones and the gut often as well will start to kick off. Wow. Yeah. So interesting, isn't it? That's it. You sort of, yeah, creating extra inflammation and that stress response. So yeah, so good, good um, to be aware of though, isn't it? To those little cues that your body's telling you you're doing it too much. Yeah. And I think that's why it's it's helpful to kind of assess your feedback from your body, which is again about looking at those symptoms and just going back to the food side of things when it comes to kind of post-exercise some individuals find, you know, they're better having things like a smoothie and I'll often suggest things like maybe digestive stimulants, um, like ginger and bitter food. So that could be your, your dark green leafies and, uh, olives and things like that to actually kickstart the digestive system back because fight or flight will shut it down. Um, and if you finish a workout and then you just gobble the food down, you can often then feel like bloated and then, you know, it, even you know, maybe you've been diagnosed with something like irritable bowel syndrome, but sometimes that's actually related to eating too fast and not allowing the digestive system infrastructure to work how it naturally should work. Because again, exercise plus stress, you know, plus bad eating habits can can just get you in this vicious circle with it. So in terms of what works for you pre and post workout, for for the majority of people, 
you're we're always kind of as nutritionists recommending you know a, a whole foods nutrient dense diet that balances blood sugar levels just the right amount and, and anti-inflammatory will mean that you've got the good balance of the fats in there and some omega-3s and things like that um, and then it's a bit of an experiment that you decide on some people do brilliant in the morning on things like overnight oats other people are more i like to have an omelet uh, and again same thing post-workout you simply start your little adventure with nutrition, just like you do with your exercise, where you tackle one thing at a time and you try some different things. If they don't work, you don't look around and, and compare yourself and get frustrated. You simply feel confident saying, I tried it, that didn't work for me, so I'm going to try something else. And of course, if you want a bit more of a, a kind of direction with that, then you go and see a professional and, and get some coaching on it so that you know what you should be eating and timing and things like that. No, absolutely. Some fantastic tips and advice there, Keris. You're just so knowledgeable about all things fitness and health. So, uh, yeah, so I think that's, <laughs> <Thank you>. that's, <laughs> that's absolutely brilliant. And that's it. And I think you hit the nail on the head there. You know, I think sometimes people do, they'll say, all oh, right, they get all motivated, like normally, you know, around New Year or the beginning of summer, it's like, right, this is it. I've got to get this bikini body going or, you know, got to detox. And they'll, you know, start really well, but then it's just too much and they're going every day or they're doing it too hard. And, you know, not eating the right foods as well and then you know they fall off the wagon then it's just forgotten about and then you know and that the perpetual cycle just keeps happening and um people don't progress forward so I think all the tips you've given today have been really so you know it's about finding out what works for you and doing it um you know variety and just keeping it simple as well and being able to fit into your lifestyle yeah and I think just one more point on that if, if, if you've got time is that the more yeah. people have tried it and then not succeeded the less likely they want to go back of course because your brain is like you've done that before it didn't work don't do it again and I really yeah. want to encourage you to try it again because the other side of the, the other thing that happens again if you if you're on that on the wagon off the wagon and you've got a history of dieting is that there's some really interesting studies one called the Minnesota study that looked at starved down a group of gentlemen in the post-war period post-second world war and it showed that actually constantly restricting and then kind of refeeding the body means that you're more likely to kind of have more fat mass than muscle mass and what that means is that over time you develop those metabolic complications and it, it can feel harder to lose weight but you're more likely to gain weight very easily and this is something that lots of people approach me about and say I don't even eat that differently but I'm gaining weight or I don't even eat mm -hmm. anything like my friends yet I'm double the size of my friends and they feel so frustrated and um, demotivated that they don't do anything but the situation keeps getting worse and what COVID has shown us is that you know those metabolic complications just make you so much more vulnerable to to other mm -hmm. now infectious diseases which you know we've not seen before so it is really important that you you do do something and you do it for you not for anybody else and with this this love and appreciation for your body it's it's maybe not how you want it to be right now but it will be and if if you think back i know i look back at mine and think it's tolerated a lot from me <laughs> in the past i should be <laughs> grateful that put up with me because <laughs> you know, if it was a person it would have sorted off by now but <laughs> so so really do you know don't give up really and 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 don't stop believing just because it hasn't worked for you in the past it, it can work it you just need to have that structure in place and and again that the, you know maybe the guidance is needed as well absolutely oh that's been amazing Keris thank you so much for all those tips and advice it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on and really insightful as well and got me motivated 
<laughs> oh, good. <laughs> oh, final tip is get a dog if you're really, really not allowed oh, to yeah. exercise. Or in <laughs> like, just get a dog. You have no choice. You have to get out <laughs> every day. Forces you to do it. Absolutely. Well, that's all we've got time for today. Thanks for listening. And a big thank you to Keris for sharing her inspiring story and fitness tips with us. You can find all the information discussed today and more about Keris in the show notes on the CNM podcast website at www.cnmpodcast.com. Now, if you're interested in learning more about nutrition or health coaching, check out CNN's range of short courses for the naturopathic nutrition or health coach diploma for a more in-depth study program. We have a series of open events coming up in October and November, and all the details are on the CNN website at www.naturopathy-uk.com and on the health coach website at www.thehealthcoach.com. Join us again next week when I talk to Johan Kellerer about the dangers of fragrances and perfumes and how these toxic chemicals can negatively affect health. He explains how the fragrance industry works, how fragrances are manufactured and advice on how to go fragrance-free. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed the show, make sure you subscribe through your favourite podcatcher so you don't miss any future episodes. While you're there, we'd love it if you could leave us a rating or review as this helps us when creating new content.